0: Well, hello once again. My name is Jeff Watson, and you are listening to the Inspired Minds Podcast. My God, do I sound like a game show host. I think I missed my calling. Good Lord. Could I take on that Alex Trebek gig? Oh, well. Thank you for listening to this great opener. It's been a blast so far. We've done about uh, six, seven of these so far. Wonderful people that I get to interview Wonderful stories that I got to hear, wonderful perspectives on life that I can share with them and they can share with me. And um, this this podcast is turning into something uh, even more esoteric than I thought it was going to. (laughs) And with that in mind, this next episode is with a fabulous writer by the name of Robin Kerman. My goodness, what a great human being. Uh, She's written two books. One is called The End of Getting Lost. The other one is called Brad Street Gate. Um, she is got, she got quite the backstory. Uh, she studied philosophy at Yale. That's smart stuff. Um, but, and then she wrote her, got her MFA from Columbia, and she really kind of ties in psychology into her characters and her development. And I found that fascinating because, as a therapist myself, I wanted to speak with her because the intersection the intersection of Art and therapy is my thing and it's where I'm heading with my own career. So at any rate, without further ado, hope you enjoy. God knows I did. Bye. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me on this lovely podcast, because I have the absolute honor to speak to Robin Kerman. Say hi, Robin.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: She uh, has... Two books. You know how many books I have, by the way? None, zero.
1: So you're I feel two less.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You've got a great point. Uh, they're called <laughs> the of, uh, one is called Brad Street and the other is called The End of Getting Lost. So how's that for the promo? We'll go into some more later, but I want to ask you. Sure. The first question is: What was the first movie and/or book? That you can remember seeing and/or reading that really had an impact on you.
1: Oh God! I mean, I remember some things from when I was a child, but I think I'll, I think I'll leap ahead a little bit. Um, probably the first novel that got me really interested in literature and kind of directed me that way was Anna Karenina. In high school, we had, mm. um, yeah, we had a Russian literature class. It was, uh, it was pretty advanced, and I that novel. Mm. Um, really touched me. And I, I think, you know, it was one of the things I reread later, and it still had a similar effect. I was older, but I've always felt that, um, you know, Tolstoy was just magical and the way that he could occupy these different perspectives. I, I don't think I've found another writer who can do it in quite the same way. And I was a young woman, I think. It's a very romantic story. Um, so it got me interested. And I've always loved the Russian writers. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that was the first.
0: Why do you think the Russian writers, I just thought of this actually, why do you think the Russian writers had such a, um, a voice in a way? Uh, you Cause you know, such you're reading interesting Russian literature.
1: Yeah. And I, I, in fact, I went to Russia because I was so moved by the literature and the place is so strange and I couldn't quite figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, there may be a connection, just the, the extremity of that mm-hmm. place, the intensity, the, the disparity in wealth, the the pain of that country—it's really hard to say exactly. I mean, and and very different kinds of writers too. But you know, from Gogol to Chekhov, very very different personalities, very different characters. I've wondered too. I mean, this may be a little bit of a stretch, but I'm I'm Jewish, and and my family was in Russia, um, you know, ancestry. Mm-hmm. And I and I've mm-hmm. sort of wondered, even though it wasn't a very um, peaceful relationship between the Jews and the Russians. Whether <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> no. But whether culturally something wasn't absorbed. Um it's hard yeah. to say. I, I think I think there's something in the psychology, um, the intensity of the psychology in the Russian writers that, that I gravitate to.
0: I would see that. I mean I just realized this too, but it's it's exactly like how post uh post war Germany like modern art is bleak and yeah. and very desolate and painful because they just they just wrote what they saw basically
1: right and i mean i feel in some ways a little bit european I, you know i'm not i'm just i'm first generation on one side um so i think maybe maybe i i don't know i resonate with it somehow and they're great psychologists in a way those writers uh-huh. i think I'm, I'm always interested in that mhm
0: yeah, I that mean was... they're
1: also interested in the bizarre, right? The abnormal psychology, <laughs> 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 which I also enjoy.
0: This is true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm ai actually just on a, I guess, side note. Um, by the way, this podcast is basically all side notes. But um, I I just watched uh, rewatched. I guess um, you ever seen a movie called uh, Wings of Desire by Ben Venders?
1: You know, I never and have. I... It's just one oh. of those that I wanted to see, and I just haven't seen it. Oh, my amazing. God. I will watch it,
0: it. It speaks to sort of what we were just talking about. It's black and white, crisp black and white, um, stunning movie. And it's got, I've got Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds are in it, which I was surprised if we didn't even know they were in there. They're the a great band. But um, it's it's just a, it's a it's a love letter to life. It's really wonderful. Um, but, it's, but it takes place in pre-war Germany or post, well, uh-huh. some kind of it's in post-war Germany, and it's that same feeling of desolation and, you know, and and heartbreak. Well, since
1: we're doing side notes, Germany, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I think I studied philosophy in undergrad and I read a lot of Germans and, you know, I mean, Freud was from Vienna. Uh um, And I I also feel like there's a sort of a strain in there. And, and, you know, and also a mixture of of sort of German-Jewish culture um, Mm -hmm. that is important to me. I mean, I think Freud as a non-literary writer is probably the most influential writer for me.
0: Uh, as I mentioned earlier in our email exchange, get on that Carl Jung tip if you can sometime.
1: I, I, you know, in my training and and I'll mention that I'm in psychoanalytic training and you're also in therapeutic training. Um, we never touched Jung, which is really bad. Really? Yeah. Oh,
0: what a, what a shame.
1: Because he became oh, sort of a side note in the psychoanalytic tradition you know, he and Freud parted ways, and I, it's he's just sort of not part of that canon. I think when you're uh, when you're studying in a more traditional psychoanalytic institute, though mine, you know, includes all kinds of approaches, but not Jung.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. i was so fascinated by Jung because he was an artist. My goodness, that guy I thought like nobody. And, and it was interesting too because with with Jung did. Was he was really the first person to kind of wed the supernatural with the clinical. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a big deal because, you know, he was talking about um, the, the collective unconsciousness and these archetypes, you know, why do all religions basically say the same thing? It's because of the archetype. Why, do you, why are kids afraid of the dark? Eh, probably because of archetypes, you know? Um, and, and like that spiritual aspect to it. And then yeah. these, these things called synchronicities that I experienced and changed my life. And so I'm a, Big proponent of. Uh,
1: I'm sure he's that name. He comes in here and there. Speaking of movies, did you see A Dangerous Method?
0: I have never even heard of A Dangerous Method. Oh,
1: so that is that is um, about the split between Freud and Young. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. But, With, no, it's sort of a big movie. I'm um, forgetting the name of the actress, of course. <laughs> anyway, look it up. Look it up. I can
0: Google I will Google it. Yeah. Okay, so here's my next, this is sort of dovetails into the questions that I start wanting sure. to ask is that as far as character development. So can you walk me through the process of the moments of inspiration? And I know that's a very loaded question.
1: Um, in general, or for this novel or, you know, just when eh. I the to write.
0: What do okay. you got? You're, yeah. Blank page. Got. Here you go. Yeah.
1: Well, I will say I've been writing for a while and I used to be, Really methodical, and you know, try out a lot of possibilities and second guess myself. I have moved to a place, and it took a long time, where I'm very intuitive. Mm-hmm. And at this stage of the game, I feel like characters kind of do just show up sometimes for me. Um, mm-hmm. and it took a long time. I've been doing scripts more lately than novels, and I I think especially there. But I will just I will hear them. I will just hear the words, Mm -hmm. uh, and it really did not used to be like that. But I, you know, I I will say that for something like the novel that I wrote, um, I included a lot of character history, and it's so hard to know how much of this process is, you know, is unconscious. I mean, we're talking about psychoanalysis. I think so much of it is unconscious. I am trying to somehow marry the themes and the action to a human being, right? So you need to find the right character, and you need to find the right history to make sense of these people doing whatever you want them to do. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it feels false, right? How exactly you do that? <laughs> I mean, I think <laughs> a lot of that is is you know, it's living, it's wisdom, it's it's writing for a very very long time because God knows I did not do it well for a lo- you know for many years, and I think sometimes would borrow. I think a lot of people do from from lived experience. But I Mm -hmm. think I've come to a point where I've just started to feel a little bit more how people work. Um, And so they they show up in that sort of somewhat mystical way Uh, that I think happens over time. Right.
0: Yeah. 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 I love that. Actually, that's um, that's precisely my belief when I'm when I agree. I, I write life stories, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, and it's just for exorcism for a lot of these things. Cause as, as I mentioned before, you recorded it, went through some trauma, um, mm-hmm. suicide loss, uh, unfortunately, and oh, su- so which sorry. then triggered mental illness which triggered. And it was my wife too. It was a, it was oh, a God. really, it was a, it was a horrible time, as you would imagine, about eight I'm years so ago. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. It was, uh, and it turned everything around. You know, it was, um, i I'll make, well, I, I yeah I, I became bipolar and I had to get that under control and um, just a raft of things happened as a result. But um, it got me more in tune. I noticed that. I noticed that going through trauma for a lot more of people, in tune. precisely. And oh. there's this quote. There's this quote I love by Keith Richards, and he was talking about uh, songwriting, and he says, there's just got to be a lightning rod." So I got to be. But I realized also that to be a good lightning rod, you had to. You had to have experience as a lightning rod for a while for the characters to appear to you. It's exactly what I do when I write. I just kind of go, oh, there it is. Yeah. And it comes in. And
1: And you you really have to to live, you know. I mean, I started writing young, and I think there's a way in which it, it, I mean, unless, maybe if you're one of these people, and there are these people who just come into life, and it just hits them so hard from so young that there's this kind of um, precocity around wisdom or, or pain or whatever it is if you don't have it, I really think you have to go through something Um, and maybe you have to go through a lot of things to, you know, to come to a place where, um, you know, I think I was, I was kind of intellectual as a kid and, and, and it came from a head place and then it sort of moves into a place that is also your head, but it's not just your head, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing too that happens when you face trauma and, and this is, I say this from my experience, but I think this is kind of true overall is that when you face trauma, you have one of two choices in life, either a adapt or you die. And it's not necessarily survival or dying for me personally, because that sounds like I'm not dead and I don't really think that's great. So, but yeah, and and death can be, you know, addiction, it can be suicide, it can be dying with a calcified heart at the end of the day, just dead. Mm -hmm. And, or... If you adapt, you kind of have to because your world got blown out with whatever happened. So to move forward, you have to adapt into that new world, you know. And it's a kind of almost a character development to a certain degree that everybody has to face at some point.
1: Sure. I think I think in one way or another, having some kind of bottoming out experience or close to that is is really, I, I don't know if it's part of creating art, but I, I think there's an element of that. Yeah, if you're going to push characters to, to tough spots, you kind of have to have been in them. And I think it's the same about, you know, psychoanalytic work or or therapeutic work. If you're going to treat patients, you have to have some acquaintance with what they're going through. I mean, it's not like a literal analogy, but you have to have had those moments in your life. Correct. Um, yeah, and, you know, correct. I, as you were speaking, I was also just thinking about sort of the saving qualities of art how how many people that, you know, find a kind of way to hope or get excited about living through creating or consuming art. But I think I think creating is <laughs> is uh is even a bigger high.
0: I will tell you something actually if you don't mind
1: that I don't sure. tell
0: a lot of people and I'm doing it obviously on my podcast now, but it's really relevant to this conversation. <laughs> sure. So um uh, so are you familiar at all with the rock band from the past called My Chemical Romance? Um, yeah. Fine. The the singer now has a TV show on Netflix. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. One of the best people mm-hmm. I know. Um, and he knew my wife. And my before my wife uh, 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 completed suicide, it was like eight years ago, she stopped working. And she started to go downhill. And there were some major mental issues. So after she died, my friend Gerard, again, he knew her. Now, my, my wife, when she, was, when she stopped working, she stopped creating. because She was a fashion designer, right? Okay. So yeah. Gerard turned to me one time, this guy, and he said, and again, Gerard's one of the greatest artists, truly artists that I know. So it meant a lot from coming from him. he said, buddy, I knew Missy e was going to die before she did. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, because she stopped creating. If you don't create, and if you're an artist, you're going to die.
1: I, I, I relate to that. In fact, I was just thinking about what it is because I, I also, you know, I see some smartest patients and I think about it myself and what, you know, a lot of the world doesn't particularly care to create anything, right? I mean, there are all yeah. kinds of ways of being creative, but, you know, in, in the way that I guess we're talking about here, like full-blown full, full blown kind of works of art. And when you have somebody that, that needs to do that, they really kind of do feel like if they don't do it, they're going to die, yeah. but there's you know that there's something in them that maybe not everybody has that finds this essential whereas other people who don't do it maybe don't don't miss it at all right and yeah. I, I i think it's such an interesting thing cuz i sometimes wonder it's a to me i mean i think as an artist you kind of wonder it's as if there are two kinds of people walking <laughs> this earth right and i don't think it's as black and white as that i think you know there's maybe also something about our culture where art isn't as integrated as maybe it has been valued at all (laughs) right i mean so it starts to feel very either or but you know i i do think about and then you know built into that kind of i need the creator i'm going to die can also be some self-destructive behavior like people will go very far for their art and make kind of sometimes unhealthy or or pretty wild sacrifices that may or yeah. may not be interesting. But I've sort of wondered about that drive. What? Why is this thing sort of essential for life for certain people and other people not, right?
0: Uh, yeah, that's an excellent point. I mean, I'm sure it's genetic somewhere. It's got to be like some genes for that. I wonder.
1: Stage. I mean, it's an interesting <laughs> question. I wonder about it. You know, part of me thinks that one reason we might create is to kind of escape, right? huh. To escape from pain, but you're right, because there are plenty, everyone gets pain, right? <laughs> I think Pain is, may not be evenly distributed, but, you know, no. most people get some, and not everybody turns to art to kind of manage that.
0: No, um, no. And, and by the way, I'll tell you real quickly here. I did that 23andMe gene thing where uh-huh. it gives you the results. I don't know if you've done it or not, but the, the, no, traits, I mean, are, the, the traits are hilarious. It's like, Less likely to, more likely to, like, less likely to have uh, back hair. I have none. Or little things, (laughs) like, I'm not kidding, by the way. Here's here's another one. More more likely to need more caffeine, which is true, because it turns out that I have a certain uh, genetic predisposition for a certain enzyme that sucks up caffeine faster, so I need more than as a result. (laughs)
1: Interesting.
0: (laughs) But the the fascinating thing is, though, too, this kind of speaks to it is that I am more than likely to have perfect pitch, which I do.
1: Interesting. Uh,
0: so perhaps there is, like, there's got to be a genetic component to being able to have a good ear. Well, actually, no, that's it. That's right, actually. In terms of at least at least music, because it's your genetic predisposition towards it, obviously, because that's a genetic yeah. thing to be able to hear. Well,
1: And music is one of those things that shows up early, too. Correct. You know, you have these prodigies and people that just have perfect pitch and so on. I you know with writing I don't know I mean it's an interesting question I came to it late I was I didn't think I was going to necessarily write or do anything creative until my twenties which I think is kind of unusual
0: why not yeah it's um, interesting
1: I was it was just I was into learning I mean I wrote you know academically and stuff and I thought mm-hmm. I might be a professor and then I started to get bored and I and restless and I discovered that I'm kind of restless, and I've only gotten more restless. <laughs> <laughs> <Whoops>. <laughs> so, you know, I then yeah. I, I think I chose well, but it, it sort of, it struck me late. And also, I was an only child. I spent a lot of time alone, and I sort of wonder if sometimes that gets built in, because, you know, you have to learn to entertain yourself.
0: I can speak from experience on that one. Yeah. yeah I mean, I had a menagerie of animals in my room at all times. Right. I mean, it was like, you know, they're visible, but they were there.
1: Right?
0: <laughs> you know, right. I mean, yeah. your I mean, mind uh,
1: has to do something. Yeah, And if you're not getting a lot of stimulation, you're probably going to turn to some sort of creating.
0: That um, very well be. Although that's, you know, I got to be perfectly honest with you, actually, while I'm talking about yeah. this. The only reason I got the music and the bands was because I realized I got girls. So that was pretty well, much Well, there's it.
1: also that. <laughs> <laughs> or you want to be famous, or you want to be special, or you want to be noticed, well, or
0: well, you want I was, women. I was actually in musical theater before that as a child. And then I'm like, wait a minute, this is not working out. I, I need to get to <laughs> Well, back.
1: there are a yeah. lot of factors. We can't there are a lot. There are right. a lot. <laughs> It's not just so about ask, survival. Not going crazy. No.
0: <laughs> let me let me ask you though. Let me ask you now about the characters themselves because sure. talking kind of a almost therapist level. This this question could be interesting to see where this goes. Do you ever feel countertransference for your characters' plight?
1: I mean, I think we're yes. I think we all get pretty tangled. I you know. The relationship between who you are and who your characters are is also pretty interesting, right? I mean, it's yeah. the same. It is counter transfer. It's the same with a patient, because I, I think, or really with anybody, who they are versus who you are gets a little yeah. bit murky sometimes, right? Especially when you're really yeah. empathizing or kind of caught up in something somebody's going through. Um, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, I find it interesting too because um, I don't know if it's it's more indicative of modern readers are of me, but I a lot of people say that my characters are not particularly likable. Mm-hmm. I always, I mean, I write people that do bad things, so I understand yeah. that, but I yeah. always find them likable when I'm right. writing them. The same way I always like my patients, right? I, I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I think anybody that you're really trying to understand,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you kind like. yeah. of got to like. part, You like a part of them. Or you feel sympathy with a part of them, and it, it right. always it interests me when that doesn't translate to other people. Or I wonder if what it means to like is different for other people. <laughs> because, you know, because I I mean I can you know you can be charmed by someone or or intrigued by somebody who's a total son of a bitch, right? So um, I guess I I do in the sense that I identify, I get somewhat enmeshed. I probably see parts of myself. I don't I don't think there's any way um, to not. And I also think that there's something about, you know, the art of writing and the art of reading, which is able to, aside from identifying from one's own personal experience, is really actually able to transport you into somebody else's experience. And I think once you're there, you can't not sympathize.
0: Okay, next question. Follow-up. Yes. Okay, I'm like Anderson Cooper right now. Follow-up. So, um, okay, how does your counter-transference or does your counter-transference influence the storyline of the character? Do you pull back mm-hmm. on the events that happen to them? Or is, it a, is it a bigger plight, a less plight because you care That's about them?
1: I hope I don't pull back. You should never pull back, right? No, no. <laughs> I think when I was younger, I probably did pull back. And I think as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little bit, bolder in my writing and maybe in life you know and you sort of learn that you, you have to you have to go pretty far um, yeah. or it's boring and, and you have to take some risks and they do kind of feel like risks you are putting your character in jeopardy and I think in a certain way yourself and so I think you're right I think I probably did pull back when I was younger but I'm trying to do that less
0: I, I would you assume know? it would be an unconscious desire if you if you care about your character, if you, yeah. you're in love with your character, you don't want your character to get hurt. You're not going to admit that, obviously, but there's got to be at I least know. something in the back of your head.
1: So you have to access your inner sadist.
0: Kind of. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Check. <Right>.
0: <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I'm always fascinated by that idea of character development because you're not the first person to tell me this uh, as a writer. another woman said the same thing. She said, "You know, I feel bad like when my characters are in pain, and I've never right. really thought of it that way before. Because, see, for uh, it's just different kinds of art, I suppose. Like, as a musician, if I write a song, it's, it's I'm not condemning the person in the song. It's I'm just maybe I'm I'm just playing a fucking song, right? And it's yeah. playing a song that meant something to me. But but
1: you must sometimes like tear up or or have kind of an emotional rush.
0: Oh well, absolutely. As a matter of fact." From someone uh, who, as I mentioned, uh, is bipolar, it's interesting because the creative process for me, when I when it kicks off, you get that serotonin rush, the same one. It's not mania; it's like hypomania, like just underneath, you know, like the quote unquote not so bad mania. Yeah. But I think all artists have that in them. I've talked to enough of them, and they said, yeah, I get this kick out of it.
1: I mean, absolutely. I actually think it's really, really interesting because I, I've thought about this a lot because I, particularly when I was younger, but I think still, I've always kind of written in a slightly manic state and whether it's, you know, your drug is caffeine or your drug is something worse or, (laughs) you know, a lot of, a lot of creators kind of amp up in order to do it. And then some people don't. Some people write from this very calm space. And I think I've tried to work to get it to be a little bit less manic. But there are those, you know, grandiose manic moments when you're just in love with what you're doing. um, And it's such a high. And thank God, because, you know, the world is brutal and your critical voice is brutal, right?
0: Right, (laughs) But I think
1: you kind of need a certain mania um to do to do this stuff. You need those moments when you're just carried. You um do, and, and they're not all the time. No. No.
0: But it's interesting too because people with mania, um historically I mean first of all, you go hyper religious. Hyper Hyper-religi- religiosity is a you may know this is a mm-hmm. um, a symptom of uh, of mania. And so they think a lot of the religious writings are done under mania, like hello, yeah. revelation. Like, okay. Or
1: well, I buy um, that. <laughs> totally.
0: <laughs> fun fact, fun fact, I went to that fucking rock in the middle in Greece, the tiny little place where he wrote it just for fun, like on a on a, on a cruise. Like, yeah, I'm gonna go there. Yeah, sure. So but also um you, you may know this, Native Americans will use uh people who are manic as shaman. That
1: mm-hmm.
0: because they understand that that person's in touch with something. We're not too sure what it is. Yeah. But And you create. And in my manic episodes, the last one I had was about four years ago. And I I wrote, because you're right, a lot. But yeah. the things I went back on and I read, I was thinking, oh, wow, that's actually really good.
1: Were there good things? I was curious about that. because some Really,
0: like
1: really good. Really
0: interesting. Well, mm-hmm. this one is an interesting one, actually. And I'll make this one relatively quick. But um, this is actually sure. a synchronicity. That I was talking about with uh, Carl Jung, because I experienced my own, and I think I've experienced more since. So a about, okay. uh, so I was, you know, years and years ago, like manic. Um, Usually I've noticed I've just from some little research, you know, when people go manic and they go hyper-religious. I think they just go to the God that they know, which is usually Jesus and God. Like, I'm Jesus. I'm God. Right. Mm -hmm. Mine was Buddhism. So I, I was into Buddhism, like early Buddhism, right before the mania hit. And then suddenly I go into Buddhism hardcore. And I am just all in. And hey, thank God or something up there, I went to Buddhism instead. But it was wonderful. And I started having these amazing experiences and writing things down. And um, and actually, I came up with my – well, I didn't come up with it. I heard my favorite joke in history, which is – you ready?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There we go. Uh, hey, have you heard what comes with the Buddhist vacuum cleaner? You say, no, no attachments, no attachments. (laughs) So I took that and I ran with it because when you're manic, you do. And I say, okay, what does that really mean? And okay, how about no attachments to things? What does that mean? I said, okay, if I lose my car, I'm going to be fine. It's going to suck. Car is going to be gone. I will have no attachments to it to determine who I am as a human being. I'm good. Okay, people. People. And I looked around, my dad dies inevitably, what is that going to be like? It's going to be horrible. It's going to be awful. But I will have to detach myself because I am whole as a person without his existence. So then I then I said, okay, how about thought? How about you have no attachments to thought? And I came up with this silly little uh, um, uh, illustration of you're standing on a train platform, and there's a subway that's coming towards the right, and it's just screaming past you. You have the ability to stop it. Or let it keep going. And so you let it go. And then the next train comes to the left, And it's just that back and forth, right. right? So that was no attachment from thoughts. So I'm manic. You want to brand everything? You think you're going to make a bajillion dollars off a concept. So I brand it and I call it No Thought. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to have t shirts. You just got to have a mind. <laughs> so then, and here's where the fun part comes in. So then I started doing some more research on Buddhism. And I am in the paint now at this point. I am losing weight. I'm not sleeping. I'm talking a oh, billion God. miles an hour. So I start reading about this guy named, I found this guy named Quan Nan. Nan. is a seventh century Buddhist South Chinese monk, um, biggest Buddha in history. This guy is just, seriously, there's Robin, there's, I'm not kidding, hats, t shirts, and like sweaters on Amazon of his face on it today at this point. He's huge in yeah. China, massive. So he comes up with this concept, and it's about having no attachment to thoughts. And I'm t- I'm mad, right? I'm sure. like, oh my God, this is crazy. I'm I made a connection. This is incredible. What you know, what, are, what are the odds? And I took a step back thankfully and I said, Time out, like this is not, not that wild of a coincidence, but kinda of rad, I'm on the right path. But then real quick, last thing is he called it, he actually had a name for it, strangely enough, and it was called Woodyan W-U-N-I-E-I-N, and which meant no thought in English.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And for me, that was a mind blow. And so it kind of is to this day, and that's what Jung talks about for synchronicities that are acausal, and you can get into there later. But that was my. I
1: don't know a lot about Buddhism, but I thought that that's part of meditation in a certain way is kind of letting go of thoughts, no, or or sort of being where you are, but then also letting go of thoughts.
0: It is. It's just, I'm just I just operation operationalized it a little bit. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I um, think you know what you're describing is also a little bit like philosophical thinking, where you kind of just like push you kind of push thought experiments to, to a point where most people don't do in daily life. Um, Which is a reason I really loved philosophy when I was younger too. I think, I think in these manic states and maybe also when we're young, which is kind of a permanent manic state. (laughs) um, And some people maybe hold on to this, but you know, there's this desire to really sort of uh, keep going. Yeah. As you said, and, and you know, like, let go of what is familiar and kind of, you know, transcend, really. Right. Um, right. You know, just, just escape the sort of the banal. Exactly. Um, and who doesn't want to do that?
0: Absolutely. Okay, now I'm going to dovetail. I'm going to take another hard hard right here. Cause I sure. talk about <laughs> I want to talk about, like, the script world and your yeah. TV development stuff. And how'd you get from Russian literature to now books and then now this?
1: really slowly (laughs) um too slowly i mean truth be told when i so i was philosophy major in college and then i decided that i would be bored and i what i wanted to do was film i wanted to write scripts and i tried that a little in my 20s and i i i just got very intimidated i you know it was pre-me too and i didn't know anybody i it just i got very scared off by the industry um and I was also in New York. I wasn't sure I wanted to move to L.A. So, you know, personal factors also contributed, but I ended up turning to novel writing. Huh? In, in part with sort of uh, in the back of my mind, some thought that maybe something I would write would get, you know, picked up and I would adapt it and so on. It just took me 20 years.
0: Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: so, I, you know, I went and I, I, I hadn't really done fiction writing. And I started writing something that was pretty out there and wild, kind of sci-fi thing. And um, and then I decided I needed some training, so I applied to Columbia. I I started writing novels. I did that um, for a while, and then you know it's it's a it's a hard gig to uh, to make a living from. And I decided that I well, I started a psychoanalytic degree around the same time that I also decided I wanted to just bite the bullet and try to write for film and TV and I got introduced to an agent through someone in the publishing world who's booked to film. And she asked me if I had any ideas and I told her an idea and she said, sounds good, write it up. And amazingly, she really liked what I wrote and, um, and then it got picked up for development by tea time pictures, which is Dakota Johnson's company. And nice. she, yeah. So that agent, um, Sylvie Rabineau, she took me on and she read my novel, and then she ended up repping that, which is why, you know, we got this kind of unusual situation where there are, you know, announcements about the film happening before the book is even out. <laughs> uh. Because, you know, she so she got it actually to first look to my producer, um, Donnelly at, at uh, Dakota Johnson's company again, and they liked it, and they sent it to... Um, Paul Meskel first and Margaret Qualley, and amazingly, both of them um, were really into the book. So that kind of made everything happen. And I've been writing scripts, um, which is a lot quicker for a slightly manic person than doing novels. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, tell me about that process, actually, because to me it's like sounds like a pretty big chasm between styles of writing.
1: I guess it is, you know... It's it's funny though I there's something so um like I I could breathe a little more easily when I started writing scripts. Uh, I mean, novels are just such an enormous undertaking and yeah. as life goes on and you have more de- demands upon you, it it gets harder to do. Um mm-hmm. you know, I'm also in school. I you know, I have a daughter. Sitting down to write a novel, you really need sort of a mountain of time. Um and I realize that I I have a lot of ideas um and i you know i think for someone who has a lot of ideas it can be a little bit frustrating to write a novel because it just takes so long to execute before you mm-hmm. can even think about the next thing and mm-hmm. i love being able to write something fairly quickly have a new idea write it fairly quickly do it again um in all seriousness you know the the pacing i don't know if i really am manic but i but I, <laughs> I, I think i i have a touch and i think um I think the pacing of it is really fun for me. It, it was always, it takes a lot of discipline to write a novel. And it was always, you know, I was tying myself to the chair, basically. Yeah. I may do it again, oh. but, you know, I'll have, to, I'll have to give it a long think.
0: I, <laughs> I just thought of this, by the way. I bet you the ADHD under, index, under indexes for novel writers. Yeah, I mean, you
1: know, I've I've always wondered if I even had a touch and was just forcing myself because you know I I can focus clearly, but um, but it, it's it's at a cost.
0: Yeah, I think every, I I certainly have a touch of that as well, um, but actually that leads me to well no I'm going to hold off on the final question the final Jeopardy question comes later,
1: sure. but
0: in the in the meantime so you're doing the Love Wave I think I saw is one of the yeah. things you're working on.
1: Let's... That was the that was the first thing that I the idea that I had when I met. Oh, like,
0: nice. My, okay.
1: Who was not yet my so, agent, is, but.
0: <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it weird going from the the uh, the New York lit world to the Hollywood screenwriter people world?
1: Well, I sort of feel like I'm not really a part of either. <laughs> <So> it's, <laughs> it's it's weird. Uh, I mean, it, it, yes, but there's a. I lived abroad for a while, and for various uh, reasons, I, I think. I may be one of those people that always has a kind of a, a toe in a few different, I lo- I really enjoy doing the psychoanalytic work and the screening work and the novel work and kind of keeping myself as you would say, not too attached. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I I think, you know, I think, I think there's something, I think it helps one's sanity yeah. uh, or, or, or maybe helps mine. And and there's also just something maybe characterological, uh, that I, I don't – I never feel like I've been completely immersed in it. I'm sorry.
0: Can you please say that energy. word again? Please say mark,
1: that I'm – characterological or – immersed.
0: Charac- <laughs> character – one more time. <laughs> Slowly, characterological? Characterological.
1: Characterological. Did you like it? What is that?
0: <laughs> I love it. What
1: is that? What is that I word? I mean, I think pertaining to character, like it's in my character.
0: <laughs> characterological. <laughs> Wow, I've been I, I've been bested. That doesn't work. That doesn't usually
1: unless I just made it up. But I think it's. A word. I think
0: you have. <laughs> We're with I it I guess we'll find
1: out. It. Maybe some viewer it. will will chime in and and <laughs> give us a verdict. Dear editor, <laughs> uh, I cannot believe if it's not oh, original. Well. <laughs> uh,
0: That's by the way, title for your new book. You think character, character, characterological.
1: Okay. Um,
0: <laughs> so, okay. So I'm going to ask you one last question. Sure. This is all the money. You ready? This is okay. my signature My signature question. I've asked this to artists across the globe almost.
1: And when I'm do
0: you done. know you're... Here we go. <laughs> here we go. When do you know you're done?
1: Oh. I want to have a really clever answer for this because you asked every artist. <laughs> um <laughs> I mean, I, you know, part of it is I feel like I don't want to look at it anymore, which I'm sure somebody mm-hmm. has said, or I feel like my heart has already kind of leapt onto the next thing. And there's oh, also, yeah. a, I think there's a time when, and I'm not always right about it. I think sometimes I probably look up something a little too fast or a little too late, but I think there's also a moment where, you know, it just, it just rings right. And you're sort of like, yep. that, that's sharp. Like, you know, that gave me a little chill, Um that that hits me in the right way. And you stop kind of coming across, which I'm sure you know from creating all those moments where you're kinda of like, uh <laughs> You know, Correct. and you kinda of need to go back in and fix them. And at a certain point it's just smooth. It just goes down. And what
0: is that and what is that question ultimately about? Attachment, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, there is that. You you kinda of gotta to learn to move on to the next thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, what an absolutely joyous conversation I've had with oh, you, my thank God. thank
1: you. It was such a pleasure.
0: What a grand human being you are, Mr. Oh. Robert Grimony.
1: <laughs> You're I sweetheart. Really appreciate it. I so um, enjoyed oh. this.
0: Will you go take care of yourself? Have a lovely thank afternoon. Thank you. And thank you, you so too. much for doing this.
1: Well, it was great. Thanks so much, Jeff. Right. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.